Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Vandalia, Michigan campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. Chance to come down to beautiful Vandalia. Always love the drive, right? It's just so, it's like the Sunday morning, 45-minute hour drive down. It's great. So, um... So this morning, I get the chance to kick off a, a series that's within the, still within the theme of the year, which is grace and truth. Right? We've, been, we've been working with these ideas of grace and truth all of, all of 2019. This series is, is kind of a, a deeper dive into the truth aspect, asking the question that we don't even know if we can ask. Could we be wrong? Mm-hmm. Like, could we be wrong about some of this stuff? Have we ever even thought about some of the deep implications of, of what does it mean uh, to believe what we believe and the claims that Christianity makes. And so in this series, there's three. Um, it was kind of adapted a little bit down here um, for, the, for the needs of this community. And so one of them will be online for you to listen to. But there's three in this overall series that we're tackling. Uh, some, of these, some of these claims Christianity makes about, um, about the Bible, right? The, what we call the Word of God, the authoritative scriptures that have been handed down through church history. We believe that God's had a hand in that, but Pastor Anthony's sermon is up online for you guys to listen to, uh, to just deal with that question. Could we be wrong? What, what took place in the formation of the scriptures, and can we trust them? Um, the second one is the beginning, right? Christianity makes this claim. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and yet we live in a, in a culture where there's a swirling dervish of ideas, but it's not that. It's not creation. It's not design. It's other things, right? A lot of it is actually a reaction post kind of enlightenment where, where God had to be taken out of the picture. We have to make sense of this world without God. And the third one is Jesus. Could, could we be wrong about Jesus, right? That's a big question because we are Christians, if you're a Christian today. Like that's, that's kind of the foundation of everything that we stand on is Jesus. And so we want to look at a little bit of, of what does it mean uh, to stand on the foundation of Jesus and, and, and ask, and just kind of look at what, is it, what does it mean to be a Christian and what are the, could we be wrong? What, where's, where does it, if it's, if it's to kind of find a point of, of foundation, where is that point? And we want to talk about that. And, uh, and so that's what I get to do this morning, talk about Jesus, which is my favorite thing to do. So you're in luck. Okay, so there's a little border. You have to, you have to kind of get used to that on these slides. But the, 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 real, the real question when we ask, could we be wrong about Jesus? One is, is just in terms of the text, right? We know Jesus through the Bible. Jesus is in all four Gospels, and he's in the whole New Testament, and, and he's actually often in the Old Testament referred to as this messianic figure that ends up coming but the, the one question is, can we trust the New Testament and what it says about him? Uh, that is the series, that's the, that's the sermon that Anthony has preached that you guys can go look up online. Uh, but, this, but the other question is, is just kind of a worldview question. Do we, do we believe that miracles happen? Like, does it, are, we, are we confined to what is naturally plausible and possible, or does God interact beyond the natural in supernatural ways in, 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 in broad terms, but specifically when it comes to Jesus, did he rise from the dead? Like, if you're to, if you're to kind of sum all of it up, it's, it's actually this question. Did Jesus rise 
from the grave. Like he, he died on a cross. Nobody disputes that. A man named Jesus died around 30 AD under the Romans. That's actually historically, like nobody argues about that. But the fact that, that this man, Jesus, then rose from the grave, that's, that's, the, that's the issue. That's the, that's the real question and the basis of Christianity and the, and the birth of the church and everything comes down to this idea of Jesus rising bodily from the grave. So that's where we want to dig in this morning. And so, uh, just a few quotes for you, right, just to frame it up. Mark Strauss, uh, Bible scholar, he writes, If the resurrection took place, Christianity is true. If it didn't, Christianity is folly and Christians are only to be pitied. No event in human history is more riding on it than the resurrection. And then uh, Timothy Keller, in his book, The Reason for God, writes this, Sometimes people approach me and say, I really struggle with the as- this aspect of Christian teaching. I like this part of Christian belief, but I, don't like, I can't accept that part. I usually respond, If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. And so, uh, that's really the question. Like, that's, that's the issue. Because if he rose from the dead, then he's Lord of all. He's vindicated himself, and, he's, and he is who he says he is. But if not, maybe he has some good ideas, but you don't have to listen to anything he says. And there's no reason, there's no basis for, for your faith. So if you've never thought about it before, I invite you to, to begin to think about, wow, I believe in the resurrection of Jesus. Like if I was to... Like I, I can, you can get lost sometimes in, in the thoughts and the faith and the doubts and, the, and everything. But if you're, to, if you're to pull it back to one thing that, that grounds you, it's this idea that Jesus through the power of God, rose from death to life. And then he appeared. It wasn't just this, this supernatural thing, but no, there's nothing to say for it. He appeared to his early, early followers and to, Paul says, over 500 at once. And, and, uh, and that just grounds, that grounds me. Mm-hmm. And I hope, I hope after today it grounds you as well. And so, hopefully you can read this, but if not, I'll read it for you. In, uh, in anything, right, when it comes to this conversation, it could often be feel like the burden of proof is on the Christian, on the believer, to, to okay, if the resurrection happened, then you have to prove it. And that, that we, I want to go through some things that are actually historical realities. But the burden of proof, if you're, to, if you're to account for it, is also on the non-believer, in the sense that, how do you, how do you account for the birth of the church? How do you account for for just the, the way that, that Jesus and his followers have, have impacted history unequivocally. Like there's, there's, there's such a profound impact on the course of human history from this small band of Jesus followers that without the resurrection, it, it's almost impossible to account for. And so the burden of proof goes both ways. But, but for, those, for those who, uh, and, there's, and there's, there's much more nuance than this, but this is kind of the, the leading explanation if Jesus didn't really rise from the dead, then this is maybe the leading explanation of, of how the myth of his resurrection came about. Um, it just it says this, In the days, weeks, months, and even years after the death of Jesus, Peter and others began having visions and dreams in which they saw Jesus alive. And so there's this birth of a, 
of a, of a, of a desire for, for Jesus, who said he was the Messiah, to still live on in his teachings and in his, in his just the stuff that he, that, he, that he talked about and he gave to his disciples. And so, over time, these feelings of Jesus living on spiritually developed into stories that, had been, that he had been raised physically. Um, I don't know what you think of that, but that's, that's really, literally, how, the, how the, the alternative explanation goes. And so there's these fabrications of, of stories that weren't originally like literal, but then they came to be over time through the church and just the presence of, of what felt like God with them. It came to be seen as literal. And so the, in, the introduction of, of the empty tomb and the witnesses, all that was after the fact. All that was just later development of these early spiritual experiences his disciples had with him in visions and dreams. That's, that's really the alternative. And there's many scholars who, who make that case. Um, and I would encourage you to find out more and, and, and see if you buy it, but I, I can't. I don't buy it. Uh, because the evidence is actually really strong um, for, 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 for just what the Bible, for what the Bible says. And so that's what we want to look at. Three big reasons to believe in the resurrection. Again, a uh, little note up there. No one doubts that Jesus was a real man, that he was really crucified under the Roman Empire in around 30. Like, I don't know, that actually is nice to know. Like, oh, at least he, he was a real person. Like he, and he was crucified. And that's, we know a little bit about the torture of that. So why was he crucified? Well, what we know is what the Bible tells us. Um, that that he, was, uh, he was crucified under... Pontius Pilate, under this kind of governing authority in Judea, part of the Roman Empire, um, and that something happened after his resurrection that led to, or after his, his crucifixion that led to, to the birth of the church. But the three big reasons to believe in the resurrection historically are uh, the empty tomb and the witnesses that the Bible describes. Um, there's the reality just in the broader ancient world of that time that, that dead people stayed dead. And so that, that we have maybe this, chrono, C.S. Lewis calls it a chronological snobbery that we think, oh, those, those ancient people, they just, they just believed all sorts of nonsense. But we modern people, we can, we can see how that's just impossible. That, got, that would never happen. And so we can kind of give them, you know, the, we, can, we can give them the, the benefit of the doubt. They could, they could have been susceptible to that, but not me. I can't be susceptible to that sort of nonsense. Um, but the reality is ancient people knew, just like we do, that people who die stay dead. And so we'll talk about that. And then uh, the third real reason is actually the transformed lives of the disciples. That something happened in the hearts and the minds and the lives of his early followers that is really unexplainable if Jesus didn't bodily raise from the dead. There's no reason that these, that these early followers would have done the things they did, said the things they did, lived the lives that they did after the fact, if he did not raise. And so we'll talk about that. All right, so we'll start with the first one, the empty tomb and witnesses. Okay, so we have the Gospels in the, New, in the Bible, in the New Testament. You have 27 books. You have the four Gospels, that's where it starts off. Often we can assume that that's our, that's our, that's our basis of what happened in, in the death and resurrection. That's where we get the accounts. But the earliest writings that we have are actually from the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul started writing around 15 to 20 years after Jesus' crucifixion. And so this is, this is pretty fresh. 
He had an encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, and he begins writing these letters after he had been an apostle for a while, planting churches, traveling the, the um, greater Greco-Roman world. And in 1 Corinthians 15, he explains to uh, the Corinthians, who are a, a, who are a Greek culture, um, why it was important, uh, what, what, what was the basis of what, everything he was saying. So it says, 1 Corinthians 15, he writes, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, who's Peter, then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. And so you read that and you think, okay, that's interesting. It's good, it's good to know. But what he's doing here is he's actually saying, go find out for yourself. Like, there's people that he's appeared to. Peter and the apostles, name a few, but there's, there's hundreds of people. You can go talk to them. You can, you can find out if I'm wrong. But go and, and find out. These are people who are still alive. People who you've, you may know. They've, they may have traveled through Corinth, which is a major port town. He's, he's, he's putting it out there and saying, if this... This isn't a disputable thing. He's, Jesus has appeared to people, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm putting that on your, on your radar so that you can test it and you can verify that for yourselves. Um, and then here, here is uh, the scene that we get from Mark of the empty tomb and the first witnesses. It says, When the Sabbath is over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and... Salome, <laughs> Salome, no, Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very, very, very early on the first day of the week, which is Sunday, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll away the stone to the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where he, he laid. They laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And so... We, we maybe don't, don't feel it in, in the same way or even at all, but for that, for that to be in the scriptures, for, for the first witnesses of the empty tomb to be women, was, was really not advantageous for the early church. It made no sense. A, a woman's testimony alone was not credible in court. And so it, it would have it it been... Uh, there, Highly unlikely, or very no advantage at all, for, for, for the early Christians to record that, the, that there were women who first saw Jesus, other than the fact that, it, that that's, what, that's what happened. Um, there, there, there would very likely have been enormous pressure on the early Christians to remove the women from the story entirely, but they didn't. Why? Because they were there. Right? And they were a part of the story. There was an accuracy. There was a need to tell the story the way it went. That was, that was pertinent in the early church to where in all the Gospels that tell the story, the women are the first people there. That's because that's what happened, because they were the ones who went to the tomb and saw that it was empty. 
And so that's another reason why the empty tomb and the way that it's recounted is actually evidence of the fact that it, that it happened the way it described. Okay, so now we move on to this idea that ancients didn't believe in resurrection, that dead people stay dead, just like we understand it to be. Uh, so later on in 1 Corinthians, Paul writes this. Now if Christ is preached that he, had been, that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Your faith also is vain. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sin, sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. Which is pretty straightforward. It's pretty, pretty clear in the sense that if there's no resurrection, guys, there's, no, there's nothing. Why are we even here? There's nothing to, to, to gather together around. You're still in your sins. The resurrection vindicates God, enables Him to forgive you because of what Jesus has done for you. And so, uh, I think in, in, in the ancient world, we can think, okay, well, there's this idea of reincarnation. There's this idea of, of Jews believe in the resurrection, right? So, so why, why would you say that they didn't believe in resurrection? Uh, but to the Greeks, uh, there was this dualism idea where the body was actually bad. There was no incentive, no reason to re to rebodify, to re like to be given another body. Um, the spirit was good and the body was bad, so being raised bodily was nonsense. So that was out of the picture. And to the Jews, bodily erection would happen, but only at the end of time when God would renew the entire world and remove all suffering and death. And so, because that hasn't happened. There's no, I, there's no concept of an individual raising bodily from the grave right. while they're still being suffering in death. Timothy, Timothy Keller, again, in his book, Reason for God, says it this way. The idea of an individual being resurrected in the middle of history, while the rest of the world continued to unburdened by sickness, death, sickness, decay, and death, was inconceivable. And so, yes, the Jews did believe in resurrection, but not in the way that it happened. Not in the way that Jesus an individual was raised bodily from the grave while, while nothing else appeared to have changed. This was not on the radar, not, on, not, in the, in the, um, not expected. And so, um, so that's, that's really just the case. There was an idea that the resurrection was reserved for the Jewish people at the end of the age. But something happened that went against their expectations. Uh, so, so there's a small band of defeated disciples, Jesus, their Messiah, their, their leader, their rabbi is crucified. Uh, they're sad, right? They're, they have no leader. But they were transformed into a community of followers who could not be silenced by persecution, the threat of martyrdom, uh, or the threat of martyrdom. If Jesus never rose from the grave and appeared to his disciples and many others, what could account for this? And what happened was there was an inbreaking of, a, of an entirely new worldview, an entirely new concept of reality that, 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 that wasn't on the radar before. Typically, if you study the history of human thought, new ways, of, new worldviews develop over decades and centuries. They don't just appear. They don't just kind of happen in a moment. 
There's, there's debate, there's give and take, there's new ways of conceiving things that evolve over time. But with Jesus and his followers, a new worldview erupts on the scene where, resurrection of, where the resurrection of Jesus is the beginning of, of God's, God's action of resurrection in the end. And so what started with Jesus continues and, and is the hope that we look forward to. Uh, the, res- the future resurrection of all people had already begun in this one God-man, Jesus. And by his Spirit, he has brought some of that new life into our hearts now. And so that's where we talk about this already and not yet kingdom of God, where Jesus has already brought in the kingdom by dying and resurrecting and then even sending his Spirit into his church to give new life, to give, to give the reality of his presence in the world. And yet, we're in this not yet moment where we're waiting for, for God to vindicate himself, for God to, to return in Christ and, 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 and redeem the world. But that was the, that was the, the resurrection-centered reality of the church that, that came onto the scene because Jesus did, in fact, raise. Rodney Stark, a sociologist, talks about three main things that the early church uh, really three main ways that the early church uh, changed the Roman Empire. Uh, they were the way that they cared for sick people. There, was, there, was no, there were no hospitals in the sense that we have them now. There was no willingness to go and potentially contaminate yourself by sick people in, in the ancient world as we, as, we, as we would conceive of it. But, but the way that, that the early Christians would go and, and, and bring healing and bring, uh, whether that was miraculous or just physical you know, care and nurture to people who were, who were, who were sick and, and very likely you would, you would catch that sickness, but they were dying. Um, that was, it was unheard of, but Jesus carried that, that, that heart of compassion and hospitality and his followers did the same. The way they cared for sick people the way that they were generous, the way they, they used their money. We read about it in Acts when we talked about community. But there was such a generosity in the early church that it actually wooed the Roman culture to say, there's something about this, this group of people. The way they're just, they give their money so freely. And then the way that they died, forgiving their enemies. These were the three main, three main ways. And, it, and they're all indications of, a tr- of just transformed life. Like, they're, they're things that you wouldn't normally do in your self-protective state. They're things you wouldn't normally do when you're just looking out for, for your own. But there's something that Jesus did in the life of his followers based off of the reality of him being resurrected that completely transformed their lives to where they weren't just looking out for themselves, but they were being just like their rabbi, just like their teacher, not just in, 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 in trying to act like him, but by being filled with his spirit, enabling them to go and do the things that he, that he would do and be the, the type of love in, in the dire circumstances that he, that he was like. And so it's not just, well, we knew, we knew what Jesus was like, and so we want to be like that, as if I have the power in and of myself to do that. But it was... What Romans 8 says, where it says the same, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies 
through his spirit who dwells in you. The sense here is that, again, this isn't just behavior modification. We don't have the ability to just follow and, and emulate Jesus in and of ourselves. But the same spirit who raised Christ from the dead is now in you when you believe in Jesus to empower you, to enable you to live a life that you were not able to live before. To do things that you were not able to do before because of your own selfishness, because of your own sin, because of your own rebellion in your heart toward God. But God sends His Spirit into His church to say, go and do likewise. Not because you can, but because I'm enabling you to. Because I'm giving you my power. I'm giving you my spirit. And so the question this morning is, guys, are we living transformed lives? Because we are the evidence. We, you, you are the evidence. Your life. The way that you're living. The way that you're loving. The way that you're forgiving. The way that you're caring for people. You are the evidence of the resurrection of Jesus for the world. God God has given you something so potent, so powerful, that sometimes we forget. And sometimes we don't know how to, we don't know what it means to live into that. That we think it's good enough just to to believe that God has forgiven us in in Jesus, but not realize that now he's, He's sending us into the world to be the evidence of his resurrection and, and, the, and, the, and the voice that says he's coming back. He loves you. He, he desires to be with you. There's a message that he's given us. There's an, there's an evidence that he's calling us to live into with our lives. And so uh, I just felt drawn to it. I didn't know how to fit it in, but now I do. I just felt drawn to this passage in, in Luke uh, 14. Let's see if I can find it. Luke 14. Um, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And I'll just read it for you here. Luke 14, starting in verse 25. Now large crowds were going along with him. And he turned and said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Wow, Jesus. That's intense. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost and see if he he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish All who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will first not sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. And then he says this, So then none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all of his own possessions. There's this idea of, of counting the cost. Of what, it, what does it mean to be a disciple? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? It means to, to die to, to, your, to yourself and to let the Spirit of God live in you. 
and to do what he's calling you to do, not based off of what you want, but based off of what he wants. It's being that place where heaven intersects earth through the Spirit of God in you. So what does it look like for heaven to invade earth, to be the answer to the prayer of Jesus? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We don't have what it takes in and of ourselves, but guys, he's, he's given us his Spirit, the same Spirit that's raised Christ from the dead, now dwells in you. So I just want to encourage you, as, as we close here, just to count the cost. To count the cost. Both, in both of these stories, it says they, they sat down and calculated the cost. They sat down and considered what they were being what, they, what, they, what was in front of them. And so I just want to, I just want to close with just a time of prayer and invitation uh, for us to just consider how the resurrection of Jesus actually impacts our life and our confession of belief in what Jesus has done. So Father God, right now, we just come before you knowing, God, that in so many ways we haven't actually counted the cost. That in so many ways we've just been swept away into this thing called church where we don't quite even really realize what we're a part of. So by your Spirit right now, God, I pray that you would show us how our lives lived in the reality of Jesus are the evidence to a waiting world that you have risen and even that you're coming again. Jesus, I pray right now that you would search our hearts, that our hearts would be made available to you, and that we would actually count the cost. What are you calling us to do? Am I willing to give up my life, to give up my possessions, the things that I hold near and dear? Am I willing to actually surrender fully to you, Jesus? Because that's what you're calling me to do. And it's only in full surrender that I become a light to the world. So Holy Spirit, do what only you can do right now. And God, even as we count the cost, I just pray, Holy Spirit, that we would be strengthened to know that the same Spirit who raised Jesus from the grave lives in us. Enabling us to live free from sin. To live in wholeness. To live in the new life that you're giving us. So God, we we pray to you that you would show us and just immerse us in that reality of resurrection life. That it would begin... It would begin right, right here in our hearts. Knowing, God, that you have raised Christ from the grave. And your spirit of resurrection lives in us, empowers us to live in the spirit of Jesus. Thank you, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray.
Amen.